Hey, good morning. Welcome. My name is Troy. I'm privileged to serve as one of the pastors here this morning, and I'm really privileged and grateful to welcome you all here today. Thanks for being here. Uh, We are in week number two of a sermon series that we're calling One Another, and really what we're doing during this sermon series is we're talking about what it looks like for us to live alongside of one another, to love one another as Jesus loves us, to serve one another. And um, listen, these are These are challenging passages of Scripture to talk about, challenging because they confront us and they invite us into another way of life. Challenging because these passages of Scripture just kind of go against the grain of our current culture and our current world, but they invite us into a life of Jesus that leads us to a life lived fully alive. So we're not going to hold back over the next several weeks. We're just going to tell you the plain truth of what Scripture says, trusting that God's Spirit can help us interpret and apply that and, and help us in our own journey to become, to become more like Him. I think I've shared with you before that one of the largest challenges of communicating, of communicating an ancient text and an ancient uh, Scripture that is alive and living and active, no question, but was written in a particular time period where a way of life was a certain way. I think I've told you that the largest challenge is that words that are in the Bible have a different meaning than those same words that we use in our life today. Most notably, the word love. The word love. So the Bible consistently communicates God's heart towards his children, which is one of steadfast love. And the Bible consistently communicates the invitation of God for his people, which is to love one another as he has loved us. In fact, Jesus commands his disciples. He says, hey, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You are to love one another. And what's tricky is that word love is all throughout our culture, but it doesn't mean anything like Jesus meant. So, like, some of you love Hallmark movies. You love them. And some of you love um, El Rodeo. And you love it so much you're there every Sunday after church. And they have your order ready for you right now. They're preparing it as I'm, as I'm talking. You, you love it that much. Some of you love uh, Purdue football. And you're always heartbroken because you love Purdue football so much. And some of you love the Chicago Cubs. We call those people sinners. Some of you love, some, some of you love, love that. And some of you love like a product. You know, like you love like your lawnmower or you love your curling wand. Not an iron, your curling wand. Because this isn't 1970, Karen. This is, this is a wand. Like we're, we're with the time. You love that whole thing. And now I can send you, if you have an Apple phone, I can send you a message. And you can press down on the message that I sent and a little bubble thing pops up and you can press the heart indicating you love you love that you love that and all of those things are fine and um, I also love you know I use words like I get it but none of those things 
are getting to what Jesus talked about when he talked about, when he talked about love. Jesus' command was this love that was steadfast and unending and self-sacrificing and without condition. And he said to his followers, love each other like that. Love each other like that. And so the question is, how do we learn how to do that? Where do we learn how to do that? That doesn't just come naturally towards us. These days, if we don't like something, we leave it behind. But Jesus' command is, these people that you're with, love them. You might not like them, but love them in the same way that I have loved you. How, how do we learn that? Where, where, where do we learn that? I want to turn our attention to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, and I'm going to read four verses of Scripture for you this morning. And since it's a short passage of Scripture, I, I think we, today I think we could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. So would you stand with me, if you don't mind? Mark chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 31. Verse 31. His mother and his brothers arrived. And they stood outside and sent word to him. That's Jesus. They sent word to Jesus calling for him. And a crowd was seated around him. And those sent to Jesus said, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside looking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then looking around at those who were seated around him in the circle, he said, Look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. This is God's word for us this morning. You can be seated. Now right off the bat, here's an observation that we absolutely have to make about the way that Jesus lived his life. His community, the community of people that surrounded him, he considered them his family. Jesus' community was his family. And Jesus, throughout his teaching and throughout his life and throughout his ministry, Jesus uses the language of family, but he doesn't use the language of family to talk about his mama or his brothers or his sisters. And it's true that he refers to God as his his father, but he refers to the community of people who surrounded him as his family, as his brothers, his sisters. And so when Jesus talks about the kind of community that he's always desired to form, he talks about his family. But when Jesus is talking about his family, he's not talking about his biological brothers or his biological sisters. He's talking about the people who have said yes to his life and to his mission. So when Jesus is talking about this group of people, he calls it family. But family doesn't mean what, to Jesus what family means to us. Now here, just from the, from the jump. In our world, there are all different kinds of communities. Community happens everywhere. Like your friendships, that's a certain kind of community. 
a local school is a certain kind of community. The nuclear family is a certain kind of community. CrossFit is a cult, but it's actually a kind of community. For all the CrossFitters in the house, I'm joking. I'm joking about that. It's, it's also a kind of community. And Jesus had a kind of community around him as well. And this is what he called it. He called it his family. He said, that's my family. And when, while that description of, of Jesus' community as family, while that sounds like really nice and sentimental, I think it's his most radical idea. In fact, in just a minute, I'm going to make the case that that's the idea that actually led to his execution. That's what got him killed. And as I mentioned, there are different kinds of communities. And the communities have different links and bonds between them. Sometimes a community will have this really strong emphasis on the group. Sometimes a community will have a weak emphasis on the group. But the, the, the emphasis on the group that surrounded Jesus' community was incredibly, incredibly strong. I want to read to you what a biblical scholar said about this passage of Scripture to help us understand the world of Jesus. So, so listen to this. It's technical, but I'll break it down. The scholar says this. In the world that Jesus lived in, which was a, a society made up of strong groups, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions goes on to say this. The individual is embedded in the group, and that individual is free to do whatever she or he feels right only if it falls in line with group norms, and only if the action is still in the group's best interest. And then closes with this statement. The group has priority over the individual person. The group has priority. That's Jesus' world. And in fact, that's still how a, lot, how a lot of people live today. Cultures in Asia and in Africa live and order their life like this. In fact, a good chunk of the world, except for Western Americans, we don't live like this, but a lot of people do. Because we live and work in a community where the individual matters more than the group. So much so that we assume that our happiness, our wants, our needs, our desires, they're way more important than the wants and the needs and the desires of the group. When I was thinking about that, this this week, I, I was remembering um, my, my fresh all four years uh, of, of college, I, ha- I had the same roommate. And my freshman year, he, he, was a, he was a pre-med dude and super smart, great guy. He's kind of nerdy, kind of nerdy. And he liked Star Trek. Any Trekkies in the house? I had never watched Star Trek before in my life, but, but my roommate really liked Star Trek. And I was remembering as I was thinking about this sermon how there was this one character in Star Trek who said this, quote, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. The needs of the many 
outweigh the needs of the few. That's, that's, kind, that's the kind of thinking of Jesus' world, not our world. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But what's interesting to me is that that idea, that the needs of the many are more important than the needs of the few, that idea is so weird to us that we made that character in Star Trek an alien <laughs> because that's like from another world. That's, that, that doesn't work here. But that worked in Jesus' world. The most important thing was the group and your family and the family was defined by the fa- father's bloodline. So listen, this is, this is how it worked. In Jesus' world, culture was defined by the father's bloodline. So technically the spouse wasn't really a part of the family. And in Jesus' world, marriage was arranged. And it was more about, marriage was less about romantic love. And it was more about what was best for the bloodline, for the family tree. It was all about what's best for the whole group. And so let's arrange this marriage because this marriage will help the whole group. That was way more important than the individual person's like happiness with their spouse. So what ended up happening in this sort of a world is that people's closest relationships, and this sounds so weird now, but people's closest relationships was not with your spouse. It was with your siblings, your brother, or your sister. The classic example is that old ancient ancient story of Mark Antony and Octavian, where her choice was between her lover or her brother. And she chose her brother because she's more deeply connected to him than she could ever possibly be with her lover. And so what's really interesting is when Jesus starts talking about family, what does he call the people he surrounds himself with, his fellow disciples? He calls them brothers and sisters, siblings. In this world where the most intimate relationship was shared, not between husband and wife, but was shared between brothers and sisters, Jesus said of those who were following him, you are my brother. You are my, you're my sisters. And so the point of all of that is to say this. Jesus' desire for his church is for the church to function like a family. Like a family. And this was radical because Jesus defines his family not by bloodline. But he says, this is who is a part of my family. Anybody who does the will of God. Anybody who does the will of God. And that means his family is opened up wide to people who are Gentiles, Jews. His vision of community is wide open. And it's that idea that gets Jesus killed. The idea that the event that happened right before Jesus' execution is this. He went into the temple, the holiest place in the whole world, and he cleansed the temple. He drove people out. And as he was cleansing the temple, driving people out, he said this, quote, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. All 
ethnos is the word where we get our ethnicity. All people. But you guys have turned it into a den of robbers. This was suppo- in other words, this was supposed to be for the whole world. And now you guys are narrowing it and ruining it. And you don't say stuff like that in Jesus' day and walk away alive. And that's the first idea. Jesus' desire is for his church to be like a family. The family he creates. But the second idea, and I think maybe even more radical, is this. Jesus invites, in this passage of scripture, his followers to put the family that Jesus is creating before their own nuclear family. So Jesus says, my family are those who do God's will. That's my family. And his mom and his brothers and his sisters have just arrived to visit him. And they send in people to say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, your family is here. And Jesus' response is, who is my family? Who really is it? And then he looks around at all of the people in the room, and he says, I'm going to redefine it. It's no longer about bloodline. It's now about alignment. My family is anybody who does the will of God. And when Jesus says, my family is anybody who does God's will, that was unthinkable. That was unthinkable for this reason. Jesus was the oldest living male in his family line. He he was responsible before God for the welfare of his mother and his siblings. But Jesus is saying, my blood family is second. There's an even larger family that God is doing. And that's even more important. So if I could this morning, I'd like to play around with that a little bit. And maybe that quote, that really technical quote that I read from that biblical scholar to help us understand Jesus' world, where they talked about strong group communities. Maybe if I, what if I substituted the word church? In that same quote, took everything else, and instead of saying strong group, what if we put church in there so that it could relate to our world? And maybe let's see how that feels when it's read aloud over us. So here's how it would go. In the church, the person perceives herself or himself to be responsible to the group for his or her actions. The individual is embedded in the church and is only free to do what she or he feels right if it is in accord with with the church's norms, and only if the action is in the church's best interest. The church has priority over the individual member. (laughs) Now, as I read that, how many of you are like, yo, I'm out, man. Like, I am ready to walk out the door right now. I knew it was a cult. I knew it was too good to be true. It's okay. It's okay. As I was reading it, I was like, oh, oh. Because we don't live like that. We don't live like that. We don't live like 
a group of people has priority over me. I'm most important. My wants and my needs and my desires are what matter the most. And I am freely associating with this group of people because it can meet my needs and my wants and my desires. And when this group of people no longer meets my needs or my wants or my desires, well, I'm more important than they are. So I'm out. That's how we live. And that is opposite to the beauty and to the power of Jesus' teaching, where he says to what should have been the most important connections in the whole world, his mother, his mama, his brothers and his sisters, who is my family? It's these people. It's these people. This is my family. Because what's really interesting and what's really beautiful is to be a child of God, which we talk about a lot, and we rejoice in the fact that God has chosen us and we belong to God. And before anyone could say a word over us that's anything else, God said of us, you are my child and I have chosen you. But to be a child of God means that we are also a brother and a sister to the church. To be a child of God doesn't mean that as an individual we exist on our own. It means that we've got brothers and we've got sisters who span the ethnos. And what's really interesting is that the dominant image of salvation in the Bible is what? It's adoption. And it's adoption. And think about what happens in adoption. In adoption, when the judge puts his gavel down... And we hear the sound. The ruling is official. And what has just happened? That child now is a son or a daughter of a mom and dad, but is also a brother or a sister of siblings. To be a child of God means to be a brother, means to be a sister. So a few things, a few points that I just want us to take away, which is this. I've already mentioned this, but I want to reinforce it. Jesus' vision of the church is to be a family. And think about how a good family functions. What do they do? What's a good family do? They, They eat together. They spend time together. Now listen, this one's not going to be as popular. They hold each other accountable. They hold each other accountable. They share resources. If you're a little low and I have a little extra, we share. They share responsibilities. They make decisions together. They're faithful to each other until death. And think about you and your life and your community. And maybe you're a part of something or maybe you're a part of this church Maybe you would say, I strongly associate with this group of people. Can those things about how a good family functions, can those things be said of you? Can they be said of us? Do you eat together? Not just your nuclear family, but the family that Jesus is talking about. Do you spend time together? Do you hold each other accountable? Seriously. 
Do you hold each other accountable and say of each other, come on, man, there's more, there's more. Do you share resources and share responsibilities? Do you make decisions together? Are you faithful to each other until the end? Or are you out? And if that little sketch, if that simple sketch of what it means to be a part of God's family, a part of God's family doesn't align with you in your heart, if you're more of the, you know what, listen, that all that all sounds nice. Maybe I'll be ready for that at some point in time, but I'm I'm gonna come to church when it aligns with my schedule. Like if it aligns with my schedule and I have the time, then then I'll come. No judgment at all. No judgment at all, and you'll always, always, always be welcome. No judgment. But that is not how God intended for his family to work. We, we get the idea of, I will do this if I have the time and the availability in my calendar. We get, we get that idea from the world. We, we don't get that idea from the Bible. We don't get that idea from Jesus. So the beauty and the power of what God is trying to create exists and depends upon people saying that is the most important thing in the whole world to me. It's more important even than the bloodline that flows throughout my veins. So that's the first thing. Family is how God has always intended his church to operate. The second is this. Family is the place where our deepest hurt happens. And it's also the place of our deepest healing. We are hurt the most in relationships of greater intimacy. That's where the pain happens. If we're not committed to someone and they're not committed to us and they have words with us or they have stuff to say to us or they treat us in a certain way, man, that's tough. But if the person that we have pledged our life to or the community of people to whom we have given ourselves over to serve, if it goes bad there, that hurts on a whole other level. And, and it's also the true in reverse. Our greatest healing happens in the midst of relationships of closeness. Our highest highs and our lowest lows happen in deep relationships. Think about last week's sermon. So for those of you who weren't here, catch up on the podcast. But Matthew chapter 10, for the very first time, lists the 12 names of Jesus' disciples. And in those 12 names were these two names. Matthew, who Matthew describes as a tax collector, and Simon, who's described as a zealot. And last week, we talked about how zealots hated tax collectors. In fact, zealots would have wanted to kill tax collectors, and Jesus invites them to be a part of this new community. Why? Because I think Jesus understood something that we often miss. The only way for healing to happen between Matthew and Simon was in relationship, was in relationship. Matthew couldn't read like articles about Simon and Simon's way of thinking or listen to news broadcasts about the sort of crucible of environmental factors that happened in Simon's life in order to produce a person who wants to kill other people. Like, that's not enough. The only way for healing to happen. For Simon to say, man, I... I think I was wrong. And for Matthew to say, I forgive you. And you know what? I, I kind of was wrong too because I was a traitor. Would you forgive me? The only way for that to happen is in community. It's in relationship. It's in family. 
Because family is the place of our deepest hurt, but it's also the place of our deepest healing. God's designed his community, his church, to function like a family so that we could heal each other. And the third is this. The major difference between family and other types of community, and family is what Jesus is intending to create, the major difference between family and other types of community is that you can't drop out. You can't drop out. Listen, there's a difference between family and friends. There's a difference between family and friends. Friendship is like based off of personality, stage of life, chemistry. Like, you know, you, you meet someone and they dress kind of like you. They're interested in the same things you're interested in. They're about the same age as you. They share your worldview. And if all of the right variables happen and like someone lights a match and it ignites... Boom, friendship happens. But, and none of that is bad. None of that, friendship is great. But the community that Jesus' family offers is different than friendship. Because sometimes we approach community, sometimes we approach family, and we search for friendship, but it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it happens. It doesn't, because family's different. You don't pick your family. You don't get to pick that. And you might get along well with your siblings, or you might not. But either way, you're going to show up at Thanksgiving. Robert Frost famously said, family is where you show up and they have to let you in. <laughs> it's where you show up and they have to let you in. And if you, know, if you know anything about being in relationship with other people, you know that it has a life cycle of its own. It's kind of dynamic and it grows and it usually starts off where it's awkward or if it's great, it starts off with a honeymoon and then it gets a little bit awkward and then it gets difficult because you realize you don't agree with this person. And then if you stick with it and you stick it out, pretty soon like it just becomes normal and like it's normalized. And then on the other side of that, like if you give it even more time, there's growth and development as you learn how to be in community with that other person. And what often I find happens is that people into, enter into community or enter into some sort of family that Jesus is trying to form, and they go through that first stage where it's a honeymoon, and we're like, wow, I'm really doing this. I'm befriending, and I'm entering into this community with people who are different than me, and we don't always see the same way, but man, I'm doing it. This is what God has always imagined, and then it gets awkward, and people are like, Ugh. and then it gets really difficult because like you become friends on Facebook, and they're they're dumb on Facebook or you're dumb on Facebook and, and you meet a couple of times and they like chew with their mouth, like they really chew, like they chomp and like when they drink, it squeaks a little bit or something and you're like, ah, and, 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 and this is what I've noticed has happened. People are like, I don't like that. I don't like that. And so they begin to back away right before God can do the really beautiful thing where God begins to work through hearts and in lives and shapes and forms and challenges and enriches. And it's hard, listen, it's hard, believe me. I know we have scars, it's hard. But don't, don't bail when it gets tough. Don't bail. I say this almost every time in a membership class. 
and I'll say it here too. There will be times in your walk with Jesus that are disappointing. There will be times when people of the church who you thought were family, when they disappoint you. There will be times when I disappoint you and I don't meet your expectations. And when that happens, and I say this in membership class, you have two choices, and I respect them both. The first choice is for you to say, I'm out, because I can't handle the disappointment, and I get it. But the second choice is for you to say, I'm staying. Because what ends up happening when we stay is the grace that we experience in the midst of the brokenness is far greater than we could have ever imagined. The type of family that Jesus is looking to create are people who are committed to one another, who love each other, even when they don't like each other. The fourth is this. We don't get to choose who's in and who's out. We don't get to choose who's invited to be part of the family. We're not head of household. God gets to make that choice. So in this passage of Scripture, as Jesus redefines family and moves it away from bloodline, you know, when family is only defined by bloodline, it's really easy for us to say, you're in, you're out. All we have to do is prick your pinky, take a blood sample, and see if the DNA aligns. Like, it's really easy for us to figure that out. But Jesus redefines it all. He says, yo, those people, that's not my family. My family is anyone who does God's will. Which means you and I don't get to say who that is. We don't get to choose who is in God's family and who's out of God's family. How would we know at every moment of every day, if everyone who claims to align with Jesus is doing God's will, and those who don't claim to align with Jesus are doing God's will, we don't know. We leave it up to Jesus to say, they're in. The boundary lines have been redrawn and expanded, which means you and I get the freedom to love without having to worry about acting as judge because we can trust Jesus with all of those things. God has always intended for his church to function as family. Family is the place where we're hurt. Family is the place of healing. You can't opt out of family. And we don't get to choose who's in and who's out. Praise the Lord. Jesus makes that decision for us. Now, I want to wrap this up real quickly by just, some of you might be saying, great. You know what, as crazy as this sounds, Pastor Troy, I align with this thing. Like, I I want to do this. I want to experience the life that God has designed, and I want to do that in the context of family. And here, I want to give you some, some avenues, some handles that are coming available for you for you to be able to do that. The first is this. Um, We have, as a part of the ministry of our church, this beautiful and wonderful thing called community tables. You've heard me talk about this before. 
It's just simply this. It's a dinner party where friends get together and share a meal as we journey together to become like Jesus. If you live on the south side or the west side and you are interested in hosting or learning more about hosting, we have been praying for you and we want to talk to you. And you can let us know about your interest by going to lafayettenaz.org slash the hub and telling us all about it and we'll follow up. If you live on the east side or the south side or the central side or the west side of this city and you're interested not in hosting but being a part or learning more, we're ready to talk to you as well. Some of you, if you've indicated interest before, you're going to hear from us soon. But if you've never said, I'm kind of interested in that, we'd love to hear from you. LafayetteNaz.org slash the hub. Let us know. The second is this. Every single week, there are discipleship classes that happen at this church. 9.30, who am I kidding, 9.45 in the morning is when they get started. And it's a great time to gather with other people and learn the Bible as we learn how to become like Jesus. Finally, ladies, gathered women will be starting again soon. Gathered women and the heart behind gathered women is a place for women to connect in smaller groups, grow in God's word together, develop relationship together. They'll be happening soon. Groups will be available to sign up. You can sign up actually today, go to the hub, but also next week in person, there will be a table in the lobby. Registration will be available for you. If we're going to be a church that God desires and imagines for us to be, we can do a lot of things right and still miss the mark if we don't get this down. God's desire and heart is for his people to function like a good family. Like a good family, not a bad family who treats each other in ways that are destructive, but a good family. And it's our call and it's our invitation as his people to live into that. 